0: You're on right now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Coming to you on the Mojo Five O Radio Network, streaming on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Follow me on Twitter at right now Jim or shoot me an email at rightnowjymdaws at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail and we'll use your call on the show. At 772-245-0750. That's 772 245 750 That's 772 245 750 Man, these uh, Sunday news shows, I think if I didn't have to watch them so that I could update you on uh, what took place, that I I would stop watching them. Uh, Dana Perino set in for Chris Wallace over at Fox News Sunday, and that was a big improvement. I wish uh, Chris Wallace would go ahead and go to work for NBC or one of the other. Maybe he could take Chuck Todd's place over there at uh, CBS. Yeah, I think it's CBS. No, uh, NBC, because, uh, you know, anybody would be an improvement over Chuck Todd. But uh, Chris Wallace really doesn't belong on Fox News Sunday. Uh, Dana Perino, you know, she's a she's a Bush Republican. She's sort of squishy, not the first person you'd want to share a foxhole with. Well, actually, (laughs) she is quite a good looking woman. But, um, you know. It was was a huge improvement over Chris Wallace and his, uh, his, you know, obvious Democrat bias. But all of the news shows, each and every one of them were all beating this uh, recession drum. You know, just by talking about it, uh, you can conjure up a recession. If you can drive down uh, confidence in the economy enough, you can, uh, in fact, create a recession and chuck todd was uh was busy doing that over there at his show at the same time he was trying to cover up his uh you know the constant backward march of his hairline he was uh he was all in on the media's uh, uh, determination to uh put this economy in recession
1: throughout his presidency donald trump has had one powerful and faithful ally the economy More than anything else, he has counted on the economy to help overcome doubts about his style and carry him to re-election. But that ally may be deserting him. This week's stock market tumble, 800 points on Wednesday, was not entirely Mr. Trump's doing. And by Friday, some of that loss was recovered. But the drop can be tied to the uncertainty that has been caused by the trade war. Mr. Trump has launched against China. The question for the president, will his supporters, who have either embraced or simply accepted so much of his norm-breaking presidency, be as forgiving of all of those norm, uh, breaking of norms if the economy falters?
0: The breaking of norms if the economy falters. Actually, Chuck, you may not realize it, but we voted for the breaking of norms. The norms in Washington, D.C. weren't working out too well. For people on Main Street, but this economy has been working very well for the people on Main Street, and it continues to uh, all of the indicators from the real economy as opposed to the Wall Street banker economy are continuing to look great so so many things are wrong with what Chuck Todd uh, just said, you know his idea that if the economy goes into recession that people will suddenly throw up a, uh, throw over a businessman who's got some experience in these things for one of these uh, Marxist Democrat socialists that the Democrats are putting up is flawed to begin with. Uh, Bernie Sanders, really we're going to, we're going to trust a guy to return the economy to full health that didn't hold a paying job until he was 40 years old. (laughs) I don't think so. Elizabeth Warren who uh, who gained the affirmative action sit, uh, system in academia so that she could go hide uh, in a classroom. She doesn't have any experience with an economy. It's really quite amazing. Larry Kudlow was uh, appeared on his show later on and tried to get Chuck to t- calm down. Uh, let me start
1: with uh, what you see from the White House, the private sector, seems to be concerned about particularly the trade war with china that that there are some rough waters ahead maybe a recession that those odds have risen what do you see
2: well i tell you what i sure don't see a recession we had some blockbuster uh retail sales consumer numbers uh, towards the back end of last week really blockbuster numbers and in fact um Despite a lot of worries with the volatile stock market, most economists on Wall Street towards the end of the week have been marking up their forecast Mm -hmm. uh, for the third and fourth quarter. That echoes our view. You know, what we've got here, consumers are working at higher wages right. they are spending at a rapid pace they're actually saving also while they're spending that's an ideal situation so i think actually the second half of the economy is going to be very good in 2019 Do you- No, i don't see a recession and let me have just one theme chuck sure. just one theme we're doing pretty darn well my judgment let's not be afraid of optimism let's not be afraid
0: of optimism <laughs> it's a funny uh, sign
2: of our times i I, and I think there's a very optimistic economy going on out all right, there
0: but- that was a theme that kudlow was pushing on uh, at least two of the news shows that i saw him on uh, let's not be afraid of optimism and really there is no reason to be afraid of optimism what he's trying to do is put the onus on the media Uh, You know, why uh, would you assume the worst about this economy? Because there were some fluctuations in the stock market. You know, Todd and the other talking heads on TV were trying to point out that the stock market took a one and a half point percentage point uh, dive toward the middle of the week. I think it was down 700 points, 800 points. But then he doesn't point out that by the end of the week that the market had recovered almost all of that. I think it had, it was back up almost 700 points. So, you know, these are these are normal fluctuations and when you get a stock market that's uh, at the unprecedented heights that this one is, you know, a, a 700 or 800 point fluctuation is by percentage is not all that much. And yeah, I understand that the the bankers on Wall Street are apprehensive. That uh, the president is finally at long last addressing this disastrous trade uh, relationship that we have with China. And the truth of the matter is it's having a great negative effect on China's economy. There is no indication thus far that it's had a negative effect on the American economy. But the media uh, is determined to have you believe that. And you just have to keep reminding yourself that these were the same economists after the two well before the 2016 election and after that predicted that if Donald Trump was elected president the economy would uh, the would cr- crater and that we would be thrust into a uh, another depression they could not have been more wrong and uh, at some point you've got to realize that these experts don't know any more about what they're talking about than the guy on the street there's been studies that would show that uh, somebody has a better likelihood of picking stocks just by, uh, you know, random pointing a finger at a, at a, a page than, than a lot of these so-called hedge fund uh, traders uh, exhibit. Here's another one of these guys. This is uh, Philip Rucker from the Washington Post. I think he was appearing on CNN trying to talk down the economy.
1: You've got to vote for for me because the economy is strong right now. But privately, uh, our reporting has been that he's quite alarmed and rattled uh, about some of these negative indicators uh, that we've seen this week and and over the past couple of weeks, as well as what's happening abroad with some of these foreign uh, countries, foreign economies. And Trump is calling out to CEOs, to friends, to some of his real estate buddies, trying to take their temperature and also voicing skepticism uh, about some of the data that he's seeing saying some of these statistics are not to be believed because they're cooked up by economists who have an anti-Trump bias.
0: So the president is panicking over the economy, and it, privately he's telling people they're very upset. Well, guess what? That's the president's job to be concerned with the economy. And if, if um, he were not trying to do everything he could to avoid a recession, I would say he wasn't doing his job. In the past, we've seen presidents that had quite a hands-off approach to the economy, and they were perfectly willing to let the economy go where it will. Now, I've reminded uh, people as much as I can uh, that, by and large, the economy, the the president of the United States only has a marginal uh, effect over the economy. This president has had an outsized effect with his uh, very dramatic cuts in regulations, his opening up the energy sector, and in uh, instituting a tax cut that was designed to bring jobs back to the America, uh, to the country, increase employment, increase the competition for uh, for employees and thereby increase wages. But uh, the, the leftists in the media have this uh, yield curve that they're determined to uh, to let you think will determine the future of this economy.
1: The inverted yield curve basically says that, and I wrote this down, that the interest rates on short-term bonds are higher than interest rates on long-term bonds. Basically, it means that investors are worried about their near-term prosperity and they just kind of want to put their money in a gopher hole where they know it's going to be safe when they come back to it years later. That is not always a sign that a recession is coming. Many recessions have been preceded by an inverted yield curve, so it's not a guarantee. But there are signs that volatility is up and down
0: well i mean it can be it has been in the past and sometimes it has not been we've gone into recession without an inverted yield curve we've gone into recession with an inverted yield curve it's not a determinative what it can also mean is that people uh, like the long-term prospects of this economy in relation to other places they could put their money other nations charlie kirk was appearing on um uh, Steve Hilton's show and, uh, and nailed exactly what's going on.
3: I call them economic hy- hypochondriacs. Right. I mean, they, they want to be sick. It's like the kid who doesn't want to go to school. Yeah. And the parents are like, no, you're actually just fine. I've never seen a group of people want a recession so badly yeah. as the establishment media. I mean, they're, they're, I, they actually, the Bank of America CEO had the best point that you can actually convince yourself into recession. Yes. That yes. is possible. That the economy is at a place where human behavior can change a couple variable points if you convince yourself things are bad. When in reality, the understatement. Underlying metrics of the economy, unemployment, consumer spending, small business startups are as strong as they've ever been in the history of the country.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I would say as strong as they've ever been in the history of the country. I think the economic boom after World War II um, was even more dynamic than the economy that we're enjoying now. But uh, certainly in most of uh, our lifetimes, we have not seen a more dynamic economy. Uh, the president, uh, you know, didn't get any credit for it. Uh, they they tried to pretend like, you know, we were uh, this was just uh, a continuation of the Obama economy. The guy that told us that these jobs were gone and they weren't coming back and that we needed to just get used to a 1% uh, growth rate in the GDP and they were out there telling us those same things. This is the new normal, this slow growth economy. This is the new normal, these high unemployment rates. And now that the president has proved them to be disastrously wrong, they, they act like, well, this is Obama did all this. Katrina Pearson was appearing on that same show with Charlie Kirk. And she, uh, she called out what's really going on. Uh, Russia didn't work, racism didn't work, and now they're going to the recession. The three R's.
4: Russia failed. Racism failed. Let's try recession. And this is where we are now. But this is nothing new. They have been predicting a recession since before President Trump was even elected. And you'll remember the suits and geniuses out there, all of the economic uh, geniuses. One over at MIT even said, if Trump wins the election, the stock market's going to crash. Well, that didn't happen. So, again, we're on to another fear tactic in a, in a hope to sup- suppress support for President Trump. It's not going to happen because the rumors of Trump's demise are always exaggerated. And we know this because consumer spending is up, unemployment is down, cheap gas, and a growing economy, as you mentioned before, with no inflation. Those are the types of things that voters vote on, not this arbitrary yield curve theory yes, everyone's exactly. talking everyone's about. Now-
0: so what do you got to ask yourself is these these um reporters and these these media personalities would rather talk up a recession in order to defeat the president. Why would they w- be willing to put the nation through all of that kind of pain? And I can tell you why. It's because they are insulated from the pain of a recession. They live in upscale neighborhoods, many of them gated communities. They send their kids to private schools. They uh, they have you know enough money to play the market and they can short stocks, where they they actually make money on a uh, a down economy. And more than anything else, they're motivated by uh, hatred of this president. And why do they hate him? Because he is, is upsetting uh, a, a paradigm, uh, a system that they had in place that they were benefiting quite nicely off of, both Democrats and Republicans. They had a two-party system where they could give the voters a false choice every four years, vote for us and we'll change what's going on. And you vote for them, and uh, nothing changes. They just keep rocking on with this globalist, financial uh, sector-driven economy, where American jobs are expendable, and uh, the only people that uh, win are the people that um, that you know are able to uh, take advantage of the globalist labor arbitrage. Oh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, um, he was appearing on one of the Sunday news shows. I can't remember which it is. And he was one of these that were trying to give credit of this current economy to, to the previous administration.
3: You you look at what he said in that rally, you've got no choice but to vote for me. And if you look at the numbers, basically what he's saying is, uh, all right, I want you to uh, look the other way on the racism, tolerate the negativity, uh, uh, accept the instability of my administration, uh, because I am going to deliver for you job growth
0: almost as good as the Obama years. Almost as good as the Obama years. Is he joking? Yeah, there was a recovery of jobs after the recession because the uh, the economy had tanked and uh, people were getting back uh, to work. But uh, even with, you know, a, a huge recovery to benefit from, Obama was able to generate very little uh, in the form of a recovery, very little in the uh, way of GDP growth and very little in the way of employment. I think when Trump took office the uh the unemployment rate was hovering around 8%. It's down to about 3% now. That is literally millions of people that were out of work on food stamps, on welfare, no prospects, losing their homes, losing their retirement benefits, not able to send their kids to college. That this president has uh has been a winner for. But these um these talking heads don't give a damn about any of that. They would just as um, just as soon return to those days if they could just get another uh, social justice warrior type president like Obama back in there. Trump uh, was giving an interview, you know, like he does when he's headed out of the White House uh, toward the uh, helicopter. He stopped and uh, commented on all of this.
5: I don't think we're having a recession. We're doing tremendously well. Our consumers are rich. I gave a tremendous tax cut, and they're loaded up with money. They're buying. I saw the Walmart numbers. They were through the roof just two days ago. Uh, That's better than any poll. That's better than any economist. And most economists actually say, Phil, that we're not going to have a recession. Most of them are saying we're not going to have a recession. But the rest of the world is not doing well like we're doing. The rest of the world, if you look at... Germany, if you look at the uh, European Union, frankly, look at the U.K. I mean, look at a lot of countries that are not doing well. China is doing poorly. Parts of Asia are doing poorly.
0: Well, I'm not really interested in the rest of the world doing poorly except for China because China is now at long last paying the price of, uh, of constantly uh, taking advantage of the United States. I'm perfectly happy to see the communist Chinese economy um, you know tank i would love to see it get, get even worse and create more uh, social unrest over there and uh, see the up the uh, uprising in hong kong uh spread to the mainland because that um that oppressive regime over there needs to be toppled and the united states needs to decouple our economy entirely from the communist chinese we never should have been trading with them to begin with. The bankers on Wall Street saw this as an opportunity for a huge pool of you know, cheap labor. But we have created an economic and military superpower out of China where it was totally unnecessary. Kellyanne Conway was, uh, was asked to comment on this, and she, uh, she took note. That the media hasn't wanted to talk about the economy for the last three years as uh, as it was booming and people were finally going back to work. But now that they see the opportunity to talk up a recession, they're happy to do that. Nice
3: to see the media finally cover it's nice to see the media finally cover the Trump economy. You seem to cover it only when you can use the Sesame Street word of the day, recession. And so you're using a tweet here or a report there or an economist's words here and there. Uh, the fact is the fundamentals of our economy are very strong, and you know it.
0: <laughs> uh, one of your ears is not going bad. For some reason, that clip only um, only played on the, uh, the left channel. Not sure what's going on with that. Kellyanne Conway is, uh, is still dug in at the White House, still doing a great job for this president. Um, Brad Parcell is going to run the 2020 campaign. I wonder if Kellyanne's going to jump o- over to the campaign uh, as we get further into this election season. I'd feel a little better about her having her over at the campaign to uh, to guide Brad Parcell's um, efforts. He has He's only... Worked on one campaign, but it was a massively successful campaign. But uh, Kellyanne's an old hand. And I'd like to see her over there as well. What else do we have? What else do we have? We're going to talk later in the show about the New York Times and their their campaign to uh, label the president as a uh, racist and get uh, you know whip up a racist frenzy ahead of the twenty twenty election. We're going to update. Uh, the uh, the whole whether or not we should buy Greenland um, debate, and uh, what else? Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta update uh, the latest developments in the Epstein murder. I mean suicide. I mean so called suicide. You know, um, uh, Solomon uh, John Solomon over there at the hill over the weekend had an interview with Joseph Mifsud's lawyer. Joseph Mifsud, of course, is the uh, Maltese, uh, former Maltese diplomat and uh, an operator of intelligence schools that are attended heavily by MI6 and the CIA, who in this whole uh, Russiagate saga was uh, characterized as a Russian asset that lets... George Papadopoulos know that the Russians had thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails. Well, his attorney points out in no uncertain terms that Joseph Massoud is not a Russian asset, that he was, in fact, during this time working for Western intelligence agencies and that he had been given the job to plant uh, the Russia story on George Papadopoulos. So, you know, as uh, as John Durham uh, digs into this, uh, all of the monkeys are falling out of the trees now. The next, I predict, will be Peter Se- uh Is it Peter Sater? Uh, anyway, uh, Sater, the ones that uh, that planted the story with Michael Cohen that uh, we can build a tower, Trump Tower in Moscow if you can just get... Donald Trump on the phone with Vladimir Putin. We got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to update this whole issue of uh, buying Greenland and whether or not that's a real possibility. Right after these messages, stick with us on Right Now with Jim Dawes.
4: Check out Schwans.com backslash yum for details.
0: And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture. From an America first perspective.
5: got released somehow it's just something we talked about denmark essentially owns it we're very good allies with denmark we protect denmark like we protect large portions of the world so the concept came up and i said certainly i'd be strategically it's interesting and we'd be interested but we'll talk to them a little bit it's not number one on the burner i can tell you that Well, a lot of things could be done. I mean, essentially, it's a large real estate deal. A lot of things could be done. It's uh, hurting Denmark very badly because they're losing almost $700 million a year carrying it. So they carry it at a great loss. And strategically for the United States, it would be nice. And we're a big ally of Denmark, and we help Denmark, and we protect Denmark, and we will. Uh, in fact, I'm supposed to stop. I'm thinking about going there. I'm not necessarily definitely going there, but I may be going. We're going to Poland, and then we may be going to Denmark. Not for this reason at all, but uh, we're looking at it. It's not number one on the burner.
0: Not number one on the burner. I think it, uh, it, it should be high up on the priority list. Um, if anything, the president has finally acknowledged the reality that the situation of Little Denmark with its 6 million people trying to control the largest island on the face of the earth, right in America's backyard, doesn't make a lot of sense, especially in light of the fact that the United States has been paying for Denmark's defense for, well, hell, going all the way back to World War One, We had to bail out Denmark. We had to do it again in World War Two, and we've been paying... Uh, a disproportionate share of the uh, the NATO expenses ever since World War two so if if Denmark has got seven hundred million dollars to spend to support Greenland annually in the sixty thousand or so Inuits that live in Greenland, then why the hell are we having to pay for their uh their Defense it doesn't make any sense at all. Denmark is not uh, trying to develop its resources there. It's not really actively um, trying to keep China or Russia from getting a foothold in Greenland. Now, I'm not suggesting that we take Greenland from Denmark, although... Well, well, I won't say it, Um, but I I would not be opposed to making Denmark an offer that they couldn't refuse at all. Obama's uh, ambassador to Denmark uh, rushed out to CNN to talk about how silly all of this was.
3: In 1946, Harry Truman and the United States more generally were very, very concerned uh, in the aftermath of World War II leading into the Cold War about adversarial powers, adversarial uh, country.
0: I should have done a better job setting this up. So he's uh, the, the moderator. I think it was Anderson Cooper over there at CNN pointed out that, uh, you know, this this idea is not as harebrained as it may sound. Harry Truman uh, tried to acquire Denmark after World War II and um, and. Even before that, uh, there there were efforts, I think, going back to the turn of the century, the 20th century, to buy uh, Greenland. And um, this ambassador, Rufus Gifford is his name, um, said, oh, this is just silliness.
3: In 1946, Harry Truman and the United States more generally were very, very concerned uh, in the aftermath of World War II leading into the Cold War about adversarial powers, adversarial uh, countries gaining a foothold very, very close to the United States. Of course, Greenland, uh, other than Canada and Mexico and some of the Caribbean islands, uh, is really as close to the United States geographically as you can get. So there was real concern. What's the difference now? The difference now is something that's critically important to the peace and prosperity of the West, which is NATO of the world, which is NATO. Greenland is NATO because Denmark is NATO. So in essence, any any challenge uh, uh to Greenland would invoke Article 5, the entire allow, alliance would respond. And to what you can't compare the geopolitics of 1946
0: uh to 2019. Well, if Greenland is NATO, then Greenland is not Denmark. Greenland is the United States. The United States pays a vastly disproportionate share of NATO's budget, especially compared to Denmark. Denmark probably pays, you know, less than five percent of uh, of NATO's budget. I think the United States pays about two thirds of NATO's budget, despite the fact that Europe as a whole has um, five hundred million people in population. And uh, an economy uh, on the aggregate, I think, that is uh, even larger than the United States. But as far as Denmark goes, it doesn't make any sense at all that tiny little Denmark is uh, is in control of one of the uh, major geostrategic resources and uh, defense, um, uh, geostrategic defense locations. In the North American Hemisphere. Is it Hemisphere? Yeah. Seems like a violation of the Monroe Doctrine. <laughs> I know I'm sounding kind of crazy. I, I think we ought to acquire Denmark and or uh, uh, Greenland. and I, I don't think that it is far-fetched in the least. I'll tell you one thing. Um, the carrying cost of $700 million for a tiny nation of 6 million people. Is a substantial expense. And I bet you that if you put it on a referendum over there in Denmark, whether or not they'd like to have an infusion of tens of billions of dollars into their uh, treasury to fund their welfare state, which is a a substantial one over there in Denmark, that they might, in fact, be willing to let it go. (laughs) I've got a clip here. This is the reaction... Of um, Greenland's, I'm, I'm sorry, Denmark's prime minister, Matei Frederiksen, reacting to uh, Trump's stated interest in acquiring Greenland. I you keeping up with this? <laughs> she says two things. First of all, I'm not currently in Greenland because of Trump. I totally agree with Kim Kelsen, who is Greenland's prime minister. I've got to slow this down a little bit. She said, I'm not currently in Greenland because of Trump. I would have come here anyway. Hmm. She's over there showing the flag. Apparently.
6: Trump. She
0: says, "I totally agree with Greenland's Premier Kim Kielsen. There's some little white privilege going there because uh, 90% of Greenland's population is, in fact, Inuit, and yet they've got a a Dane as their premier. She says, uh, we, I agree with her, that uh, Greenland is not for
6: sale.
0: She says, by the way, Greenland is not Danish. Greenland is Greenlandic. Kim Kielsen said it quite clear. Greenland will not be sold.
6: And Kim mm. Kielsen said it very not The
0: the questioner says, Donald Trump says it would uh, make a lot of sense that it would be great strategically for the U.S.
6: And that Denmark
0: is losing a lot of money by simply having Greenland. Is he not right about that? She says, thankfully, the time where you buy and sell other countries and populations is over. Let's leave it there. Jokes aside, we would naturally love to have an even closer strategic relationship with the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we'd like for the U.S. to pay for even more of our defense. And I, we consider the U.S. to be one of our most important allies. Sure you do. And I look forward to the...
6: Um,
0: I look forward to the president's visit. I think it would be important for the Danish-American relationship. The Arctic, and thereby Greenland, is becoming more important also, strategically, so we would like to have an even closer co- co- collaboration with America in the Arctic. What we need to do is just start moving over to Greenland and buying up land. I wonder if all of that, uh, that frozen tundra north of the south end of the island, where the you know there's like one city in Greenland where ninety five percent of the population lives. I wonder if we could uh start actually buying land over there yeah, it's a silly silly conversation, but it certainly uh would be a great thing if we are, were acquired or uh, to acquire Greenland. I saw an interesting uh headline. It's only the kind of thing that uh, you'll see. Um, happened in Florida. A Florida woman pulled an alligator out of her pants during a traffic stop in May and has been sentenced. This happened in Charlotte County, which is, uh, I think, uh, on the north Atlantic coast of Florida. A Charlotte County uh, sheriff's deputy, Ariel... Oh, no... A Charlotte County Sheriff's Deputy said that Ariel McCann LeCuerre, 25, was a passenger in the seat of a car being by, driven by Michael Clemens when it was pulled over for running a stop sign in Punta Gorda. Both individuals told the deputy that they were collecting snakes and frogs from underneath an overpass. Miss McCann LeCuerre and Clemens gave officers permission to search the trunk of the vehicle, whereupon the deputy found a teenage mutant ninja turtle backpack stuffed with 413 striped turtles. The deputy confronted the two individuals about the animals and inquired as to whether or not there were more inside the vehicle, at which point this young lady pulled out an alligator from inside her yoga pants. (laughs) She was charged with possessing an American alligator... More than one turtle per day and transporting a more than one turtle or turtle egg and one count of possessing a small shell turtle, according to the Miami Herald. (laughs) Only, only in Florida would you find somebody that was um, arrested for having an alligator in their pants. Oh, man. Oh, man. So the New York Times has, uh, has determined uh, that they are going to change their news coverage up. And instead of Russia, 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 it is now going to be racism, racism, racism. And I want to give a hat tip here to Byron York over the Washington Examiner, who says, perhaps when you think of the founding of the United States, you think of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers, but now the New York Times wants to reframe your understanding of the nation's foundings. In the Times view, which it hopes to make the view of millions of Americans, the country was actually founded in 1619 when the first African slaves were brought to North America. This year marks the 400th anniversary of that event, and the Times has created something called the 1619 Project. This is what the paper hopes the project will accomplish. Quote, it aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. So it wasn't the um, revolution of 1776 or the Revolutionary War or the drafting of the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution that was the founding of this nation, according to the New York Times, it was the first importation of slaves in 1619. The basic thrust of the 1619 project is that everything in America history is explained by slavery and race. And this fits right in with The recent uh, newsroom meeting over at the Washington Times that says uh, in the run-up to the 2020 election, the New York Times is going to do everything it can to agitate for race. They know that they cannot let black voters off the Democrat plantation or they will never win another election. And so what uh, what the New York Times means to do is set the narrative That everything in this country is about race and you cannot escape that racial paradigm. Going back to Byron York, the message is woven throughout the first publication of the project, an entire edition of the New York Times magazine. And it begins with an overview of race in America that says, our democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. Black Americans have fought to make them true. The essay goes on to cover the economy. If you want to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation. That was actually in today's edition. The food we eat, the sugar that saturates the American diet, has a barbaric history of sugar plantations fueled by slavery. The nation's physical health. Why doesn't the United States have universal health care? The answer begins... With policies enacted after the Civil War. The headline actually was, uh, why doesn't the United States have universal health care? One word, race. Politics. The New York Times says, America holds on to an undemocratic assumption from its founding that some people deserve more power than others. Daily life. What does a traffic jam in Atlanta have to do with segregation? Quite a lot. That was a quotation from the New York Times oh man so if you thought if you thought that every that that the new york Times was absolutely obsessed with race you ain't seen nothing yet the um the editor over there Bequette, 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 baquet 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 b a q u e t bequet spoke fr- frankly um, during this recent town hall meeting. He said, for two years, the Times made a very, very big deal of the Trump-Russia affair. Well, that they did. Only deal, uh, the only uh, problem was there was no Trump-Russia affair. It was an actual concoction by the New York Times and the Washington Post, and now they mean to concoct a very, very racist America. Bacay said, uh, we built our newsroom to cover one story. But then came the Mueller report, which failed to establish the core allegation against the president. So they built their newsroom to cover one story. They actually received two Pulitzer Prizes for their coverage of the story, and the whole story turned out to be a hoax. Now, recognizing it as a hoax wasn't terribly complicated or difficult. All you had to do is know that at the same time they were saying that uh, there were, you know, coordination and collusion between the Trump Russia campaign that nobody at the Russia, uh, uh, that the nobody at the Trump campaign in fact knew how to contact Russia after Trump won the election. If there were these deep, collusion connections between the Trump campaign and Russia, why would they have had to take a meeting with this low-level um, Russian lawyer, Valentin at Trump Tower? It was, in fact, an entrapment operation set up by Fusion GPS. Anybody with any sense. And the New York Times is not stupid. They're deluded. They're um, dishonest. They're unethical, but they're not stupid. Anybody that looked like this whole Russia collusion narrative could recognize it as as a, a hoax. But now McKay says we have to regroup and shift resources to emphasize an emphasis to take on a different story. We've got to change. I mean, the vision for coverage for the next two years is what we talked about earlier. How do we cover a guy who makes these kind of remarks? How do we cover the world's reaction to him? How do we do that while continuing to cover his policies? How do we cover America that's become so divided by Donald Trump? Oh, I know. We further divide the country. Now, all of this was in the aftermath, you'll recall, of the uh, the New York Times reporting on the president's statement with regard to El Paso and Dayton saying that we all have to condemn white nationalism and racism, that it rots the soul and destroys the spirit. And the New York Times put together a headline that says uh, Trump condemns racism and encourages unity or something to that effect. Oh, man. Man the left that the New York Times absolutely depends on for what little circulation it's got left absolutely went into a meltdown. And the New York Times changed their headline to reflect that. So they changed their headline from something that was entirely accurate to something that was entirely just not representative of the story at all. In this meeting, Paquette Went on to say, I'm wondering to what extent you think, oh, I'm sorry. This was actually one of the staff members asking a question of So, Says, I'm wondering to what extent you think that the fact of racism and white supremacy being sort of the foundation of this country should play into our reporting, the, f- the staffer asked. Just because it feels to me like it should be the starting point, you know. Like these conversations about what is racist, what isn't racist. I just feel like racism is in everything. It should it should be considering in our normal science reporting, in our cultural reporting, in our national reporting. <sighs> Paquette responded, race in the next year is going to be a huge part of the American story. And I mean race in terms of not only African Americans and their relationships with Donald Trump, but Latinos and immigration. So they're basically... Plotting their strategy for the 2016 presidential election. And that is going to be that they're going to try to excite the black vote by, um, you know, adopting their next hoax, hoax And that is that uh, Donald Trump is deeply racist, that he's dividing the country and that this country is irredeemably racist. So just get ready for it. You're going to see this uh, this play out. It's going to be nonstop. They're going to beat the drum. Oh, man. And and they've decided that, uh, by the way, reparations is not enough. <laughs> it's not going to be enough that this country write a check to the 40 million or so descendants of African slaves. None of these 40 million or so have ever been slaves themselves. And none of the people that will have to pay for this have, in fact, ever been slaveholders. But. Never mind that fact. Never mind the fact that nearly every group, if you go far enough back in its history, uh, has been enslaved, including the Europeans, including the Irish, including Middle Easterners, including the Jews. Everybody at some point or another in their history, every racial group has been enslaved. Oh, man, oh, man. The truth of the matter is, the more they ad, agitate for this racism, the more it's going to turn voters off who want to move on, you know, and, uh, and enjoy the fruits of all of the work we've done in this country to, uh, to give civil rights to everyone. We're going to run out to a break. We're going to uh, take one commercial break and then we'll be right back. Stick with us. Mojo. Mojo.
7: Millions of people today have no dental insurance. If you're without insurance, do you have a plan to care for your teeth without spending a fortune? Introducing DentalPlans.com. How would you like to save 10 to 60% off your next dental visit for as little as $7 a month? We offer trusted dental savings plans from companies like Cigna and Aetna with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Be a part of the 1 million-plus happy smiles served since 1999 that save money when they visit the dentist. You can save on cleanings, dentures, braces, x-rays, fillings, crowns, root canals, and even teeth whitening. Call 800-296-1247 now start saving immediately. Mention promo code RADIO to receive 15% off any plan and for a limited time, 1 month free. Call 800-296-1247. That's 800 1247 Fees billed annually plus a $20 processing fee. Savings plans are not insurance. Savings will vary by provider plan and zip code with plan detail page for additional plan terms. Not all plans and offers available in all markets.
0: I so saw a recent headline on Twitters, you know, uh where they've they've got that um uh, section that carries headlines as opposed to your news feed. I think they call it mentions. It uh, it read Prince Andrew uh under scrutiny for sexual harassment in the aftermath of Jeffrey Epstein's suicide. Well, first of all, we don't know that it was a suicide just because the, the uh, New York City coroner has determined that uh, really isn't determinative. But my point is, uh, when did uh, sex with underage girls become sexual harassment? That's not sexual harassment. That is statutory rape. And how could the people over at Twitter get a headline so wrong? Well, turns out today, uh, I think it was the Daily Mail uh, has released some video footage of Jeffrey Epstein and Prince Andrew at the door to this huge mansion on Central Park West. The footage at first shows Jeffrey Epstein exiting, and he's followed by uh, a young lady I don't know how old she is, but she most certainly could be underage. She may be, you know, older than 18. It's if she's older than 18, she's not much older than 18. And then shortly after that, you see Prince Andrew at the doorway with yet another one of these very, very young looking females emerging. And he's, he's inside the doorway saying goodbye to her. This appears to be happening in the morning, so it would be very interesting to find out who the identities of these young girls are, and how, how old they were in fact at the time and this is a, This is a very, very dark uh, episode in our history, and i've said it before nobody knows how many of these young runaway girls that were recruited in Jeffrey Epstein's uh, pedophilia prostitution ring were never seen or heard from again searching that island is not going to find them because you're not going to bury anyone that went missing if you've got vast oceans at your disposal but um circumstances of the Southern District of New York arresting Epstein almost a decade after they had continued to turn a blind eye to his activities and then him ending up uh, dead. That's going to be a story that uh, will live on long past the idea that uh, Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo 50 radio network right now with Jim Dogs. We'll talk to you then.
4: This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more.